Hey there, mama. You're listening to the Lift the Shame podcast. I'm your host, Crystal, mama of five and your family's intuitive eating dietitian, here to help you cut through the diet culture clutter so you can enjoy freedom with food as a family. I'm on a mission to help you end the generational legacy of diet culture in your home so you can experience motherhood free from food guilt and body shame. Listen in weekly for guidance on how you can ditch diet culture, heal your relationship with food in your body, and confidently raise intuitive eaters. Let's dive in and lift the shame together. I never knew that sharing this would be so controversial or cause me to receive so much backlash. And I want to share that with you today because I continue to believe that this is an important topic. And while it may seem very counterintuitive and very countercultural, there's a lot of intention behind it. And so I'm going to share what that is with you. A couple months ago, I posted a reel on Instagram that basically showed me putting candy on a plate and stating that I was allowing my kids to have candy for breakfast. And oh my, wow, (laughs) there's some strong feelings about allowing our kids to have candy, number one, and certainly not for breakfast, number two. And it's just really interesting to see kind of the repercussions of that and the dialogue that resulted from, from sharing that. And I really wanted to talk about this today because it's October and we are embarking on the sweets candy season, which honestly seems to last from Halloween all the way to Valentine's Day or even Easter. And it's part of our lives. And I think especially for moms in eating disorder recovery, or if you're a mom that's healing your relationship with food and your body, and you're trying so hard to just dismantle diet culture in your family and to support your kids in learning how to self-regulate all foods and preserve their intuitive eating abilities. You might come across strategies that seem really foreign and that bring up a lot of discomfort. And this may be one of those things. I just wanted to kind of transition and talk more about what it looks like to actively go against our, our food rules that sometimes we still have, like they're still innately part of our, our brain map and what it looks like to challenge what diet culture purports makes a healthy child or helps us to raise a healthy child. There's so much clutter out there and I'm all about shining light in these areas where there is shame and confusion so that you can actively challenge it and really be free to do what works best for your family and what helps support your family enjoy freedom with food. I talked about when candy is around us. I think we have this idea that we can gatekeep what our kids have access to. And to an extent, that is accurate, right? Like you are the one that is deciding what you're purchasing, what foods you're accessing or allowing your kids to have access to. And, you know, like to a degree, you can control that. And this is where I just really want to encourage you and challenge you to step outside the box. Because again, diet culture will tell us that 
feeding our kids and raising a healthy child is all about control. It's all about what you offer them. It's all about the foods that you get them to eat. And that is not accurate. And I I want to speak to that because raising a healthy eater really breaks all the definitions of what health is. And it's not about control. It's about connection. And the connection that we have with our kids and are forming with them on multiple levels, not just with food, really does help preserve those innate intuitive eating abilities that they already have that we've been talking about. To a degree, we can prevent our kids from accessing certain foods, especially if these are foods that you yourself may not feel comfortable eating or having in your house. I know for me, in my early years of motherhood, there was just certain things I wasn't buying either one, because my kids didn't really know they existed yet and weren't asking for them, or two, they were still foods that I wasn't totally comfortable with having in my home. And that all changed when my oldest started getting old enough to get exposure to other foods that I didn't let her have access to. And that's where that control piece that we like to have as parents goes out the window. Because While you can control what may come in and out of your home food-wise, when your child starts getting old enough and is going to school or other people's houses or grandma and grandpa's house, right? Like your degree of what you can control starts to diminish. (laughs) And that can be a really good thing for a lot of reasons because it really expands the different foods that your child has access to which supports them in learning how to eat a variety of foods because that is the real world, right? The real world out there involves all kinds of foods, including processed foods and foods made with refined sugar and convenience foods, fast food. Like that is the world that we live in. And as much as we may try to form a bubble in terms of the foods that our kids have access to, that bubble will break eventually. I see this all the time in my practice and with families that I work with where once that child starts getting exposure to other foods and if there's not intentionality around offering those things and exposing our kids and providing access in a neutral way, we really can trigger certain eating behaviors in our kids that can backfire down the road. And again, I say this with so much grace and compassion because feeding kids is hard and we're all doing the best that we can with the information and the resources that we have available to us. And if you've ever done any of these things, I don't I don't want you to attach shame to it, but rather just explore it from a lens of curiosity and also just compassion for yourself. Please go gently with yourself as you hear some of these things. The reality is though, if we are not exposing our kids and providing access to the foods that they are showing interest in, that will backfire. And this does actually create more of an obsession around these foods. And what we actually see from research is that when kids are limited from what is considered or categorized as highly palatable foods, so those would be things that would be higher in sugar and higher in fat, higher in salt. We would consider those more highly palatable. What we see from research is that when children are restricted 
from having access to highly palatable foods, it actually causes them to become more obsessive with them and to overeat them or even binge eat them when they do get access to them. You know, an example of this would be child who maybe doesn't isn't allowed to have sweets or certain foods at home. But if they go to a friend's house or they go to a birthday party and there's pizza and there's ice cream and there's a pinata with candy, that child may feel like it's like a complete loss of control. Like they they aren't able to self-regulate and manage a situation like that in terms of being able to eat what feels good in their body because they haven't had opportunities or experience or practice or permission to do so. This is tough because again, this goes very strongly against what diet culture tells us we need to do as parents to raise a healthy child. It tells us, don't let them have access to these foods. Don't let them have sugar. Don't let them have anything that's high in fat. I mean, we're hearing these messages everywhere, including from other professionals. Like if you are taking your kids in for their well check visits, you're likely getting some kind of lecture from your pediatrician about how your child's eating, or you are being asked, like, how many servings of fruits and vegetables is your child eating? Like, all of these things make it really confusing for us to know how to best raise a child that not only is able to eat intuitively, but that has optimal health and wellness. And it's important to understand that those ideas are not in opposition of each other. So raising an intuitive eater doesn't mean that your child isn't eating in a healthful way. And, you know, these are important things to keep in mind that what we see actually is that children who are able to self-regulate and eat more intuitively do have better health outcomes over the course of their life. And the same is true for adults as well. Like I think diet culture positions those ideas in opposition. Again, it pits them against one another. But what we actually see is that when kids are able to eat more intuitively, they do actually grow up to be in better health, both physically and mentally. That's very contradictory to what we see diet culture promoting as the best practices for raising a healthy child. So I just want to bring these ideas to you. And we're going to have more conversations about this over the next few weeks, especially as it pertains to sugar, because there's so many toxic ideas and beliefs out there about sugar and sweets. Should I let my kid have access? How much should I let them eat? How frequently should I let them have sweets? And Again, these are things that we're going to be chatting about together over the next couple of weeks here, especially in this month of October, because I don't know about you, but I started seeing Halloween candy well before October. It's like, you know, in Target, that seasonal section, like as soon as back to school stuff is done, it's like that all gets cleared out and it's like Halloween in September, right? And our kids see that and they get excited and they're aware of the environment around around them. And so if we're not responsive to that, then that can absolutely backfire. You know, and something that I hear a lot too is I hear this from moms that I work with where they never had really permission to have sweets in the home. And so those were foods that they felt like I have to hide them or I have to eat them in secret or I have to, you know, like there's so much shame attached to it and I've experienced this and I know so many other moms that I've worked with have also experienced this idea of like, okay, 
when I finally do get access to the things that have been limited in my life. And it's not a matter of if, but when. Okay. Again, like I think we have this idea that we can prevent our kids from accessing foods that we're uncomfortable with. But again, we can only do that for so long. As soon as your your child starts growing up and having more exposure to different activities and things outside of the the safe haven of your home, they will get access to these foods. And if they've never learned how to eat them and self-regulate them within the safety and the context of your home environment, then they will become very chaotic. I remember for me, a huge part of my eating disorder struggle was when I transitioned to college. And my eating disorder had started in high school, but once I went to college, it, it intensified and it became so much more chaotic because I didn't know how to feed myself. I didn't know how to take care of myself. And I remember I had like a meal pass living in the dorms where I had so many meals that I could eat. And basically our cafeteria was like a buffet, right? You can eat what you want. There was like desserts and all kinds of foods. For me growing up, I never learned how to eat those things. And they were always off limits. And they were things that I snuck and had to eat in secret a lot. And I just remember going to college and just feeling like I was totally losing control. Like when all of those foods were finally available to me, I had no idea how to eat them and how to self-regulate them. And I've shared this before where sweets were such a challenging area, challenging food for me in particular. And so becoming a mom really opened my eyes to a lot of these concepts where, man, I just didn't want my kids to struggle with the same type of things that I struggled with, especially when it came to sweets. And so in order to do this, it requires intentionality. It requires going against all those ingrained food rules that are still part of our our psyche and our mentality. If we want our kids to have the best shot possible at learning how to self-regulate all foods and to have a peaceful relationship, especially with sweets, we have to do things differently. And sometimes that requires thinking outside the box. That is one thing that we do in our home, especially during seasons like Halloween, where the prevalence of candy is just higher. Like our kids have more higher access to it. One thing I started learning is that, you know, it's easy to still offer and provide sweets in a way that feels comfortable, right? Like we might be okay with our kids having some sweets with dinner or with lunch, with meals that it makes sense. Like there's other foods there. And then I started thinking to myself, like, why not breakfast? Why can't I also let my kids have sweets with breakfast? And generally, like sometimes we do have like sweeter food items for breakfast anyway. Like my kids love chocolate chip pancakes with syrup, right? Or waffles, like donuts on occasion. So how is that different from letting my kids have candy with their breakfast? That's when I really just started challenging some of those internalized food rules that are still there. And they are still there, right? Like when you've spent years with disordered eating and diet culture or recovering from an eating disorder, there are going to be those internalized food rules that you have to actively be challenging when it comes to how you feed your kids. And so that was something I started doing. I I started doing this years ago when my kids became much more aware of candy and much more interested in it. And I remember one Halloween in particular, our neighbors, bless their hearts, (laughs) came over with a humongous jar full of candy corn. 
and that's a whole other controversial issue. Like if your team can't candy corn or not, personally, I don't like it. And I know that might be offending, <laughs> offending some of you candy corn lovers out there. So I'm sorry in advance, but just go with me here. So a huge, huge jar, like a tower full of candy corn brought it over. We're excited to give it to our kids. And honestly, I had never really introduced them to candy corn at that point. And of course, like that jar sitting on the kitchen counter, my kids were like amped. Like, what is this? I'm so excited. Like, of course, like when they can see it visually, that's going to pique their interest, even if they don't know if they like it or not yet. And so I had to make a decision right there. Like, how am I going to approach this? And you know, when kids are highly interested in sweets or candy or whatever it is, we need to be intentional about giving them access to it. And sometimes, again, that looks like giving access out of the parameters of our safe rules that that help us feel more comfortable. And, you know, it's interesting. I can't remember how many kids I had at the time, but I think it was my three oldest. And I think two out of three were really excited about it. And one of them like had some and was like, "Mm, not my thing. But the other two, I was like, oh man, like they're still asking for it. They're still interested in it. And so I started giving it to them with their meals, like consistently throughout the day. So I remember like the first time I did it, I was making breakfast. I can't remember what it was, but I just added some candy corn to their plate at breakfast with the other breakfast foods. And I just stayed really chill and neutral about it. And I'll never forget my daughter's face was like, what's going on? Like, why is there candy corn on my plate? And it took everything in me to not like say anything or make a big deal about it. But I remember like that was so powerful to do something that was outside of the parameters of my kind of ingrained food rules. It was really helpful in just supporting my kids in really creating an emotionally equal playing field for them when it came to sweets and candy in particular. And so we actually did that a lot through the month of October because like they're getting a lot of candy from different parties and schools and they already see it in the stores and we would go out to the stores. This was pre-pandemic. So we took them out a lot and they would see the bags of candy and all the Halloween decorations and get so excited. And, you know, I think we have this idea like, we got to wait till a certain time or to a certain meal. But when our kids are already showing interest in it, if we're not being responsive to that, it just amplifies that food in their mind. Like it puts it and elevates it up on a pedestal. I just was intentional about letting them have candy with breakfast and other meals and snacks during the day. And that was so powerful in normalizing it for them. And I want to just share three quick benefits of, of, letting your kids have candy for breakfast. But however this looks like really, it's just the point of this is benefits of allowing your kids to have sweets at unconventional times is a better way to look at it. And there's three main benefits here that I would love to share with you. And of course, can't wait to hear your takeaways from this episode. The first reason is that it nulls the novelty of candy or sweets. Okay. What I mean by this is There is power with habituation, meaning repeated exposure to a certain stimulus or exposure to a certain experience. It nulls the novelty of this. And one thing that helps me understand this is thinking about 
a relationship, right? So your relationship with your significant other, like I want you to think about the first time your significant other told you that they loved you. Like so amazing, right? Like (laughs) all the stars in the sky, like everything just like lighting up the first time your significant other told you that they loved you versus like 10 years in a relationship and you're in the trenches with kids, changing diapers, like have very little time to each other and your partner or significant other tells you, hey, I love you. It's not going to it's not going to have the same effect. Like, of course, it's still meaningful and important, but it doesn't have the same effect. Right. Because that is habituation, like the power of hearing something over and over and over 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 time is going to null the novelty of it. And as cheesy as it may seem, this is the same principle in providing consistent access to something like sweets or candy. It's going to null the novelty of it. And eventually, like your child understands that it's available. And so they're better able to tune in and listen to what their body's needing. They're not just eating it for the sake of it being available. And that's the beauty of it. And it's not to say like the goal here is to make candy less exciting. That is not the goal. We have sweets in our home multiple times a day, every day. And some of my kids are more interested in sweets than others. But generally, sweets are pretty exciting. And it's it's not to say that we want to like somehow strip the excitement from these foods because that's just part of normal eating and being a human. Like we'll naturally have more pleasure from some foods than other foods. And that is not inherently wrong or bad. That's a good thing. But the goal is that you want to help your kids understand that it's consistently available so that they can listen to what their bodies need to help them regulate it. So that's definitely one of the benefits there. A second benefit here is that it reduces rigidity and rules. So kids really begin to form rules around food from super young ages based on what they're learning and hearing about food. For example, if they hear someone telling them, well, dessert is only after dinner or you have to eat your veggies first, they start to internalize those rules around food and those can be detrimental in helping them preserve their intuitive eating abilities over the lifetime. Rigid rules around sweets only contributes to making those foods more exciting and anything that feels forbidden will instantly become more desirable. So the idea of of challenging some of those internalized food rules that we have by offering them more frequently or offering them at different times really gives them that unconditional permission they need to explore all foods regularly and to learn how to self-regulate what feels best in their bodies. And again, this is only possible in the absence of food rules. So allowing your kids to have a piece of candy with breakfast may feel totally counterintuitive and unconventional. But again, in reality, what you're doing is giving your child permission to learn how to eat without any rigid food rules involved. Okay. And last point here is that this practice does help support self-regulation. And we've we've kind of talked about this, but I, I want to reiterate this, that when kids are seeing candy or other sweets alongside other foods that they're used to eating, 
it does create that emotionally equal playing field for them. And it this is a key to help them learn how to self-regulate. What we see is that when kids have like consistent access to sweets, again, they, they're more likely to have more improved health outcomes over the course of their life versus kids that only have intermittent access. They're more likely to overeat and binge on those foods when access is finally made available. So this is hugely important. The other thing here is that when kids feel like they don't have consistent access to sweets, it creates like FOMO around having sweets, right? That is why we tend to see like kids who don't have regular access to sweets, like when they go to a birthday party or or somewhere where there's all the things that they want to eat, but don't get access to frequently. They're like all about it. Like, you know, you might have a kid that only will hang out by the food table at the whole party or is somewhat even like binging on the cake and the ice cream. Like when kids don't trust that those foods are a regular part of their foreseeable future, they are going to basically eat out of fear of missing out. It's like, I better eat as much as I can of this right now because I don't know when the next time is that I'll be able to eat this. So it really creates that separation from their internal cues to help them regulate versus when kids trust that, oh, we have sweets every day. Again, that novelty of it has worn off and they're able to eat and regulate what feels best for their bodies. So those are three, just like to summarize, benefits of thinking outside the box when it comes to offering sweets at unconventional times, you know, whether it's breakfast or for snack. And I know that there's a lot, there's definitely not a lot of nuance here that we will be covering more in our upcoming podcast. So make sure you come back to listen to more strategies around how to actually implement this. But I want to just mention a couple resources that I'm going to be plugging in the show notes for you. So I will post a link to my blog that's titled This Dietitian Let's Kids Eat Candy for Breakfast. So take a look at that blog. It talks about this a little bit more if you're interested in seeing the implication parts. If you have a child who seems obsessive or highly preoccupied with sweets, I also have a free resource for you. So in the show notes will be a link to my free guide, Five Reasons Your Child is Obsessed with Sugar and How to End the Craze. So there are usually underlying reasons that may be influencing that behavior. And I want to give you some resources to help you start unpacking and discovering why that is. So you can support your child in learning how to self-regulate and again, preserve those intuitive eating abilities that they have. So I hope this was helpful for you. Come connect with me. I can't wait to hear your takeaways, your thoughts, your questions. As always, you can leave your comments on the show notes page or send me a voicemail that's also on the show notes page where you can share your thoughts and ideas and questions. And again, we'll be revisiting this topic over the next couple of weeks. So I can't wait to see you next week and talk about this more. All right, take good care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift the Shame podcast. For more tips and guidance on your motherhood journey, come connect with me on Instagram at Crystal Cargis. Until next week, mama, I'll be cheering you on. Bye for now. Bye.